All right, if you would be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, we'll be in verses 15 through 17 this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth with a couple of explanations. Our justification allows us to enjoy a victorious life through Jesus as free gift of God's abundant grace and righteousness. Now, you want to pay particular attention to the word allows. That means that this doesn't automatically happen. It is something you must cultivate and lean into. Now, it's not suggesting that you have any part whatsoever in receiving justification. But you are called in your sanctification to participate in, cultivate, and apply your justification to daily life. So because of what Christ has done, we are allowed the opportunity to live the victorious life in Jesus. Now, that's the next thing I need to unpack because for some of you, there's kind of a couple of things that maybe just rose up in your head and heart when you heard those terms. Now, for those who uh, come out of kind of the prosperity gospel, and I, don't, I want to be fair to them, it's not, it's not monolithic, it's not all one theology, but the base of it is this. If you are in Christ, you should prosper financially, you should never really get sick, and you're not going to suffer, right? And I don't mean to caricature that, that's just the in brief. Uh, now, here's the question. Is that biblical? What did Paul say in Romans 5 about suffering? Suffering is a key means by which we are formed into the image of Christ. And if we suggest that suffering is something that is, is wrong or bad or indicates that you are in sin and have done something wrong or bad, that's devastating. That is bad theology. But let's be tender to our prosperity gospel friends, recognizing if, if you were told that there is a way, a theology that would help you to live the victorious life in which you, you, everything you put your hand to will grow and prosper and, and, and you're protected from illness and you are protected from suffering. Is that not attractive? To be given that kind of control based on obedience? But it's a devastating doctrine because it just isn't true or biblical. Now, others of us, hear this in a very triumphalistic way, which is different than the prosperity gospel and permeates a number of different doctrines and, and denominational kind of things and ideologies. This seems to suggest that if we are victorious in Christ, then we can tread down the sinners in our lives. We can tread down the culture. We can tread down the government in some form or fashion. Is that what the Lord left us here to do? not by my lights or reading of the scripture. Uh, in fact, if Revelation, understand we have different views on when these things occurred, but the churches that are described in Revelation that are commended are small and suffering. There are martyrs. You remember the two witnesses get slaughtered. There will be suffering and there will be difficulty and nowhere does Christ tread down any of the things I just said. And the way that we think, because we are victorious in Christ, that, that we can function and operate. No, we are called to a greater uh, servant humility. Yes, we are to be bold in the gospel. Yes, we are to be bold in proclaiming Christ as king. Yes, we are to call people to fear the Lord for judgment will come. But to do so in a way that is inviting and hospitable and saying, come be part of the family, come out of darkness, not Nana Nabubu, you sit in darkness. 
And so you need to make sure that when you hear victorious Christian living, that you're able to keep it biblical, right? It's going to be a struggle at times because we live in a fallen world and stuff don't look like victory a lot of days. But this is where everything stands. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, let me read that key truth one more time since I gave all that preamble. Our justification allows us to enjoy a victorious life through Jesus as a free gift of God's abundant grace and righteousness. Paul says this in Romans 5, 15, or writes this in Romans 5, 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, listen, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we've got to remember Paul here has been unpacking the eternal beneficences of our justification. And as we've admitted, we tend to not think about our justification very much. It's something that happened in the past. It's a, it's a, it's a doctrine that we are familiar with, potentially. But rarely, on a Wednesday afternoon at 3.30, do we return to it when we need it the most. Rarely do we, in a circumstance, seek to apply the truth of our justification uh, in the way that Paul is talking about here that will be beneficial for us. And in verse 14, he made a comparison between Adam and Jesus in which he was saying they are, here's where they're kind of alike, right? Adam was a, a type or a shadow of Christ in some ways in, in, in that he represented the entire family of God for a season. Uh, and so here's where he's saying, but there are major differences that you need to know. And these are really important for you and for me. But let me start with a question. What helps you to feel most alive? If you're honest, what helps you feel most alive, you would, you would cite good things, right? Like successes and, and other things that benefit you and accomplishments and good things coming to you, Right? Like if we were to list out the things that make us feel most alive, they would be all positive. But what's interesting in the gospel is that that would be a partial list. For those who reign in life in Christ and live the victorious life, it should also include the hard things. It should also include the, the, the strokes that sov the, the sovereign God of the universe allows or places upon us either in discipline or in discipleship. I had a friend this week, his wife is in the hospital. She has sarcoidosis, which you don't know what that is. It's an autoimmune disease that causes scarring in the lungs and can cause scarring in the eyes and some other places. And she texted him and, and, and it shocked him. And she said, I'm scared. I can't breathe. And so he rushed home and took her to the hospital. And, and she was in the hospital. And, and so he came back to visit her and she had her Bible and she could barely breathe, which, which just, those of you, uh, spouses, parents, family members, that's just hard to see. And she was pointing to Ephesians 5 
and saying, we have to redeem the time. Wait, what? As her husband said, who are you? And how can I be more like you when I grow up? See, her concern was because of the shortness of breath and it was reminding her death is not. Right? It's just something about that that really kind of clips you in. Instead of her uh, turning in a thousand different directions, she turned to the Lord. She ran to the throne of grace and realized, no, the time is fleeting. We must use it for the glory of God. That was her biggest concern. Is that not victorious, living? Is that clean, though? Is that, does that, would we call that, would we say, Lord, strike my breathing so that I could better know you. No, that's not how we operate, but that is how God operates sometimes. He uses the fallenness and sinfulness and brokenness and death of this world to draw us closer to him. It gives meaning to that which previously had little to no meaning, correct? And so this is what we want to grow in as God's people because he's made it clear that suffering produces character. It is the unique way in which we commune with Christ between the now and the not yet that will not be true in the new heavens and new earth, and it is preparatory. It helps prepare us in so many ways to be able to enjoy the great feast that is to come when all suffering will fall away. So as we turn to the text, let's let's make special note of some things as we go through. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. What does it mean by free gift? What does that mean? Well, it means you, you don't do anything to get it. And the free gift he's referring to is justification. He, he mentions that later in, in the passage. And so it's clear that we don't do anything to earn it. We don't bring anything. We don't bring potential. We don't bring anything to it. It is a, to us a free gift. But you got to remember to whom it was costly. It was costly to both God the Father and Christ the Son. He is the payment, as he says in Romans 3, the fancy word being propitiation. He is the ransom paid. Though there was no ransom owed to anyone, it was due to God alone. His his wrath must be satisfied. Justice had to be served on behalf of our sin. It, It had to be taken seriously. And Christ paid it all. And so we gotta start with, hey, this is a free gift. We can't forget that. And we are unified in this being a necessity. This is the only way you get in, right? So for all of you in here who are professing Christians, you are a Christian because of the free gift. Now, what does that mean for those who aren't currently Christians? How do they get in? The same way. Why do we act like it's different for them than it was for us? Is there a new revelation somewhere? Did the gospel somehow change? Now, I say this because we need to hear it again and again because we keep struggling. I do. I know you do. We all do. We struggle to love those who so desperately need this free gift. And we oftentimes make rules for them. If you're going to be worthy of my love, if you're going to be worthy of my table, you're going to be worthy of my church, You better line up on some things. Here's the minimums. What's the minimum here? Nothing. It's free gifts. And it ain't like the trespass. Which, Adam, think of this for a second. As a singularity, 
It was his sin alone. Our sin doesn't repeat it. Our sin doesn't come close to its power. Our sin pales in comparison to what Adam did. did you, does your sin, every time you mess up, does it unleash death on the world? Does it, does it ruin everybody around you? I know it affects them, but does it, does it destroy and break in the same way that Adam's did? No, he's unique. That original sin, that first trespass. You remember what they wanted to do was be God without going through God's process. They wanted to determine what it meant to be holy. They wanted to determine what it meant to be human. Are we having these conversations today? And so it's, it's very important that we recognize that, that that one trespass, the power of it, it was so profound that one mistake unleashed death on the entire world. And I know what many of you may be struggling with is I often have. Why do I have to pay for something somebody else did in the past? As if we aren't doing that on the, on the regular. I went back in my own family at one point, and this is fairly neurotic, uh, but I looked at my grandfather's, the impact of my grandfather's sin. My grandfather ran around on my grandmother uh, quite a bit. And I, I had to quit at about 75. One in particular that's heartbreaking was a daughter that he had that we didn't even know existed in North Carolina. Uh, we found out about her at his funeral. She called. Now think of this for a second. The impact upon this woman's life to never have heard. My grandfather never acknowledged her. He did not send her a birthday card. He did not send her a Christmas gift. He never, ever told her that he loved her. What he did was exile her and tell her she was not welcome. What kind of impact do you think that has? And then the, the rest of us who were impacted uh, by, by his sin. So we, you know, for us to say it shouldn't go back that far. <laughs> what does that mean? How does it not start from Adam and Eve in some sense? And it just plays out over and over and over again. So we first need to recognize how powerful Adam's sin was. It unleashed death on the entire world, not even just us, but creation itself, as Romans 8 is going to tell us. So that, we need to first acknowledge that is powerful, is it not? Now, how much greater there's been not just that trespass, and as the passage tells us, there's been a whole bunch more after that one, right? We've, we've kept it up. We've kept the bank full on this deal, as if it needed to be kept full. We've continued to live out the sin of Adam. We've continued to impute death into the world. We've continued to harm one another as if we think we're God. We've continued to just do all kind of awful things. And yet, what Christ has done ends it in a moment, as if it never happened. That's what justification is, you understand? It is as if you never participated in Adam. It is as if you never knew death or sin, and all you knew was holiness and God's goodness and God's love. Now, that's being worked out in real time. That's a reality that is true before the throne, as we read from Romans 5 every week for a benediction. But in time, we're still unpacking and, and, and trying to figure out the beneficences of that. But this is why this is really important for us to hear. First, if Adam's sin was a singularity that unleashed death in the world, what sin can you commit that's, that's more than Adam's? 
Can you name one? Can you, can you, even as dastardly and as awful as you could be, if you tried really hard, could you eclipse the sin of Adam? No. And why is that important? Well, if Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection, totally obliterates the sin of Adam, then what does that mean for your sin in Christ? It is an arrogance on all of our part to in any way, shape, or form to think that any single or multiple or ongoing continual sin on our part can eclipse the cross. Now, what I just said may drive some of you crazy because you may be thinking, well, you just gave, you're just telling my kid he can do whatever he wants. Thanks a whole hairy lot. No, it's not what I just said, actually. Actually, what I just said is your kid has been set free from being a slave to sin if they are in Christ. Your child has been set free from your sin that you have passed along. Your child has been set free from all of the familial sin in Christ. It cannot be eclipsed. This is good news to you as parents because what parent in this room has never had the thought that they haven't ruined their child already? Right? All of us. But we need to know that our sin cannot eclipse what Christ can do in them. Now, if you are in Christ and justified, then you are able to be obedient and pleasing to the Lord. So make use of that. That's going to be more beneficial to your child than for you to sin against them and be like, hey, Jesus can do better than that. So good luck, kid. No, that's not how we treat our children. But we need to hear as parents. Let me, let me talk to the children for a second. Uh, your sin does not ruin your family. Your sin does not keep you from God the Father. In Christ, who can eclipse it? You need to hear this. Because there are times when we as parents almost make you feel like you have ruined everything. All our hopes, all our dreams, and that is a crown of thorns and an incredible yoke to bear. But remember, Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light for this very reason. Married folks, how many of you would describe yourself as a stellar spouse? You ever use that term? You ever just looked at your, your significant other and been like, I know it's hard for you to know how lucky you are. I mean, it really is impossible. Uh, right? How many of you, I mean, you just feel like it's, it's ruined. It lies in ruins. The thing that you had hoped, and this is in premarital counseling, I try to say to them, too many come into marriage as if they have this beautiful painting that's already finished and it's your job to maintain it. Only to let uh, gremlins come in and ruin it with finger paint and other things, right? But that's wrong. Who of you, when you got married, knew what you were doing? had any idea what you were getting yourself into, truly. You didn't. You were a novice. You didn't know squat about marriage. In fact, what you did know was probably fallen and broken and distorted. And so if your position is that if things haven't been perfect and everybody hasn't kept it up and Christmases have been ruined, then the marriage is ruined. Well, that's not, what, that's not what's possible in the gospel. This is where the victorious life can truly come in. Susan and I were talking about this the other day. On paper, we, 
uh, are, are not like, like if you did the whole like soulmate, like perfect fit and all that kind of nonsense, on paper, we, we're just not it. And I know what you're thinking, probably more on one side of the ledger than the other. That's fair. It's fine. And, and, and we talked about like, I said, Susan, when's the last time I took your breath away? And I stopped and I said, I don't mean like, <gasps> what have I done? <laughs> That's different. Right? I mean, it's, but, but we'll celebrate 21 years here in 22 years, I've been just informed. <laughs> 21 was so good, I just didn't want to let it go. I just, it's hard to move on when it's that good. When it's that good. <laughs> 22, I lost a year in there somewhere. Uh, it was the COVID. The COVID took a year of our marriage. Um, and so I have learned to love her more than I could have ever imagined when we got married. And you know, so much of that was born through suffering. My sin, her sin, our kids' sin, our friends' sin, our family's sin. Because we kept being faithful and kept coming back and, and kept fighting toward one another. Now, I know that for some of you, that's a painful thing to hear because that's not what happened for you. And here's the good news. That, that brokenness of your marriage does not eclipse the cross. And it doesn't keep you from growing in Christ. And it doesn't keep you from being useful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make you less loved. Please hear me. And so, so we see that in all phases of our lives, there are things that are just draining us of resurrection power, of, of being able to see the fullness of the cross. This is why you need to hear that those things cannot eclipse the cross. Just the other day, I'll, I'll admit my own sin here. Uh, Chris had preached on how, like our, our, in our families, we have stuff that we carry on, right? And so my grandfather, despite this other sin, he hated, absolutely hated the sound of a door or a cabinet closing at any volume. And for some reason, I, I had in mind that if, you, if you're going to close a door or close a cabinet, you need to let the whole world know, right? You slam it. So it drove him nuts. He, used to, I, he would yell at me all the time. And my favorite thing was to be leaving as I could hear him yelling as I was running down the steps after I'd slammed the back door that shook the whole trailer. I grew up in trailer. And so I'm sitting on the porch after Chris's sermon on Sunday, and, uh, and the, it's a beautiful day. I, I have a book of sermons that uh, are ministering to my heart. I got something great to drink. I, I got some little charcuterie action going. It's perfect. And on our porch, the kitchen is what abuts up against to the wall on the porch. Well, I hear this sound. We don't have children. This doesn't make sense to me. And I'm sitting there, and you know how it is. Like, like I was like, okay, Satan, you're going to come at me like that? No, it's too beautiful out here. Not today, brother. And it just kept going. You know how as you're trying to hang on, that last nerve is beginning to fray, and then it goes, and you can't take it right? And so I come through the door, and I said, what are you doing? And Susan's standing there looking at me like I'm the idiot. Fair enough. She's like, what? I'm just getting something to drink. I was like, did you, did you put hydrogen and oxygen together to make water? Was it an experiment going on? What is going on in here? And I, 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 super humble, by the way, went and showed her, see, you can close it. It doesn't make noise. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be this way. And uh, she stayed married to me. She's like, fine, I'll stay out of the kitchen. Lord have mercy. Uh, but, but like, 
that didn't have the final say. That's a small example. You may think it's a big one, but in our house, it's a small example. Uh, and, and so we, we recognize that this is really important. This is where you apply your justification. This is how you decide which way you're going to run when you have sinned or been sinned against. Right? Sin does have consequences. Do not get me wrong. But the consequence that sin doesn't have for those who are in union with Christ is eternal damnation or, as Paul puts it here, condemnation. Now, this is really important for how we treat other people, for those we disagree with, for those who currently think we're foolish for praying to an invisible God, for those who think we are daft for gathering together and trying to do this week in and week out when we are so weird and it is so hard. We are to treat them with the offer of the free gift. If all we do is continue to confirm who they are in Adam and in Adam alone, what hope are they supposed to have? Where are they supposed to go? Where would they turn? Where is forgiveness for them? So we must become a community of people whose justification benefits the life of the world. Not just us, but also for our friends and neighbors and those in our spheres of influence who are laboring under the weight of sin and shame and guilt and death as we once did. That they would be able to see a group of people who are victorious in Christ, that, that suffering does not have the final say, that struggle, sin, us messing up does not have the final say, that we are a people who are swift to confess our sin because we want to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That we are a people who are swift to forgive because we want to taste of the feast of reconciliation, both with God and with neighbor. That we would be the most creative, hospitable people in the room who even when short of breath can seek to redeem the time and long for God to be glorified. That is victorious, reigning in life with Christ. And as he goes on, he says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. A condemnation is you are cut off completely. You are condemned to hell. You are condemned to no relationship with God the Father except through judgment. It is a destructive reality. That's what we have in Adam, a broken, destroyed relationship with God. But much greater in Christ, we have justification, where we are restored as if we have never been tainted, as if we had never known Adam at all, or his sin, or death, or any of it. And that gives us access. So Paul here is making it very clear how much greater the grace of God. A friend put it well, and this kind of connects with what Josh was saying before we did the confession of sin. Oftentimes we'll say, hey, you need to persevere. You need to persevere. And that's true, you do. But don't forget that you don't do that in your own strength or alone. It is Christ who preserves. It is the spirit that is dwelling in you as temple of the holy God. That it is not all your strength. It is the strength that is given to you in the resurrection power of Christ. Christ comes toward us. Christ dwells in us. Christ intercedes for us. Christ sends the Spirit 
to minister to and through and for us. He even commands angels to do things I don't quite understand. When we got all that going on, why wouldn't we be victorious? Why wouldn't we reign in life with Christ? Again, remember, it's not about perfection. This is where we get so tangled up is we, we only view things as victorious or good if they are somehow perfect or a straight line or, or just amazing. The Lord's really been showing me this. I, I've struggled my entire life uh, with grief. I don't know how to grieve. I get angry. I, I, in place of grief, I, I do anger. And so in going and counseling and wrestling with that reality, I've been trying, like, so I'm a novice. So for, for 48 years, all I've done is, is anger in place of grief. What makes me think, or you think, or any of us think, that six months of counseling is going to make me an expert in that regard? It ain't. All he did was give me the tools to, to no longer languish as a slave to anger. So in Christ, uh, I've had an opportunity recently to grieve some things and wrestle with some things. And let me just say, if we're doing the scorecard, I'd be a subpar baseball player in single A at best. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means I, I ain't doing too good. If that's how we score it. But here's the, here's the thing that Jesus has been so gracious to show me is that, that although the percentage ain't pretty, and I, I, I got room to improve, I'm better than I was. That, that I've actually, on a few occasions, grieved without anger. Actually, one time so far. But hey, that's 100% better than the zero. If you do the you know, math, it's funny. You can make all kinds of things sound great. And I have used the means of grace in some circumstances that previously I didn't. You may say, I thought you're supposed to be the pastor. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've always told y'all you deserve better, but you have Jesus, which is the best. And so we have to come to recognize and be able to better see where the gospel is at work in these very broken places and places that we have lost vision and sight and hope. Listen to what John Stott says about this. He says, formerly, death was our king, and we were slaves under its totalitarian tyranny. I love that description. This wasn't casual. This wasn't natural. This wasn't normal. This is horrible tyranny. What Christ has done for us is not just to exchange death's kingdom for a much more gentle kingdom of life while leaving us in the position of subjects. Now, Paul's going to say the very same thing about baptism in Romans chapter 6. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are still mixed of saint sinner, and we need to be careful about making things out to be triumphalistic. He's going to correct us when he gets to Romans 14 and 15. When he says, you who are strong must bear with the weak, not call them weak and tell them they ain't you. And so we are not subjects to the kingdom of death, meaning we are eternal people. We have been justified. He goes on. Instead, he being Jesus delivers us from the rule of death so radically as to enable us to change places with it and rule over it or reign in life. 
Now, all that is dangerous language from what we've been talking about. It can sound a lot more triumphalistic and a lot more like special ops Christianity than the reality of homeschooling five children or the reality of a a struggling marriage in year one or year 25 or standing on the ash heap of a divorce or death or any of those things. That doesn't doesn't quite seem to compute, but the thing that he's saying is the thing that I've said earlier that has to correct us. We reign in life, not because we look awesome, but because Jesus is awesome in the truest sense of that word. We reign in life because of the finished work of Christ, not because of anything that we are doing. It is not for us to become some sort of special forces Christian, which would do the exact opposite of what Romans is calling us to do, which is to be unified in our humility and need for Jesus. And so, what victories has Christ granted you through the free gift of God's abundant grace and righteousness? You need to think about this. There's a whole bunch. But for so many of us, the freedom, and and this is where you gotta be careful not to get obfuscated with the big theological categories. This is where you need to be really specific. There are some very specific shames and guilts the Lord has delivered you from, and me too. And we need to celebrate those. We need to to push back against those when they, they rear their ugly heads as they do throughout our lives as a thorn in the flesh of sorts. We need to recognize that we've been delivered from that family lineage that is so broken and so crippling and has had an impact on us, but it does not have the final say over Jesus. We need to remember he's delivered you from the mistakes that you've made that have cost other people. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences and the necessity for physical reconciliation or restitution of some kind. That may be part of it, but you are free to do it and it means something and be a gift. You've been set free from your triumphalistic arrogance that you've never lived up to and you ain't impressed anybody with. You've been set free from applying the law to others while demanding the grace for yourself. You can breathe. You can breathe because Christ has given you that breath. He has breathed new life in us. And so this is where we need to say and figure out, how is this affecting how you live day to day? How might this affect how we relate to one another? Where, where have you reminded someone, hey, you're justified, and that means something. And you can get through this, not as, not as some sort of uh, silly speaking it into being kind of stuff, but no, saying what already has been done and is applicable day in and day out. Now listen, I want Paul to have uh, the, the last word here. Uh, it is from 1 Corinthians 15, these, these verses 54 through 58. This is the great chapter on the resurrection. And I want you to pay close attention to how Paul makes application of the truths we've been discussing, the victory in Christ. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So when's this gonna happen? When? 
when Christ returns and we are resurrected, when we put, we won't be able to know the fullness of the beauty of that statement in the whole of our being until we rise from death in newness of life at Christ's return. However, notice what's true between the now and the not yet. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, like I've said before, we're kind of scared of that language. It's got a lot, there's some theological ditches it can throw you in real quick, but we cannot let the language of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, the beauty of the gospel be taken from us. We can't give it up. There is victory in Christ now. His resurrection is moving in you now. His spirit dwells in you now. He intercedes the one who vanquished the singular sin of Adam in his own death, what looked like defeat in the world's eyes, when he burst forth so gloriously from that grave. That is true now. You are justified now in Christ. We're not yet glorified, but you are justified. And this is why this is important. Listen to these words. He is now applying the resurrection He's telling us how to apply it right now. You ready? Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. How many of you could be steadfast in your own strength? How many of you would say, I'm an, I'm an example of steadfastness. Y'all don't even know. How about immovable? How many of y'all ain't been thrown off kilter, decentered, lost your balance, lost your way? Well, in Christ... In his resurrection, we can be both steadfast and immovable in him. Meaning, we don't lose our justification. We keep coming back to that. That is the firm foundation. This doesn't mean that you don't get thrown off by sickness, and it doesn't mean that you don't get thrown off. It's what do you return to? What are you cultivating? He's telling us this is what is available to you. Now, listen to these words. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, parents, your labor, children, your labor, spouses, your labor, single folk, your labor, whomever you may be, if you are in Christ, is not in vain. And to that, all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have victory in Christ. Lord, we have to confess we don't know what that means. We, we are so tangled up in seeing victory through our own cultural eyes, whether it's American or Western or Southern or triumphalistic or sports-based or charismatic or whatever it may be, Lord, would you help us hear that word and live it out biblically, that truth that we have victory in Christ who reigns even now and help us to not be arrogant about it. Help us not be prideful. Help us not be ashamed of it. God, would you help us to see that though Adam's singular trespass was so insanely, historically, eternally destructive, Christ was able to break it on the cross and declare it of no ability toward your children in the resurrection and to continue to remind us in his ascension and grant us the hope of glorification when he comes again. 
May we live between the now and the not yet as your ambassadors of this free gift, recognizing that what you have given to us, we are to offer to all those around us. Yes, it's complex. Yes, there are paradoxes. Yes, there is right and wrong. But Lord, help us to navigate those things in such a way that honors and glorifies you and bestows dignity on those who bear your image in our spheres of influence. Help us to be a hospitable and creative people. Help us to suffer well. Help us to see that it's not about everything being clean. It's about which way we run. May we run to you again and again. May our justification and all of its eternal gifts that we have heard from Romans 5 be of great gift to us on any hour of any given day. May your spirit call it to our minds. May we be able to uh, disciple and serve and love each other with this truth. And would you entrust to us others who have received the free gift to disciple and build up for the sake of your glory, for the life of the world. In Christ's name, amen.